0: you know what? It hurts right now. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but you know, our guys will look back on this and the sun's going to come up. And, uh, we're all going to regroup and, uh, I'm going to get a smile on my face. And, uh, I'm looking forward to open gym already. So I was excited to be here. Obviously, um, my hat's off to Trot. they beat us. Well, it meant a lot to get here and, you know, make history, you know, we can't
1: be ashamed of that. And, uh, you know, nobody thought we'd get here, but we managed to. manage managed to prove everybody wrong, and I, the whole community was behind us, and, you know, that's what's special about it. And tonight, we just didn't take care of the game plan at all. They just did whatever they wanted, and we didn't do anything we wanted. Yo, what's up everyone? Welcome. Welcome current listeners, new listeners. This is episode 15 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Alright, so as you heard in my intro, my high school basketball team, the Minerva Colts, they had their historic season come to a close at the hands of Trotwood Madison in the Final Four of the Division II State Tournament. Uh St. Vincent St. Mary's defeated Trotwood Madison 60 to 51 in the Division II State Championship. But it was a historic run for our high school team. And I grew up playing with some of those guys. I grew up playing with them. So I, I just I understand how special it is and I'm so proud of them. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought we could have done this ever. And I just want to address my guys really quick. Guys, I am so proud of you for everything you have done. You guys did something that will live on forever and may never, ever be duplicated ever again. It was amazing growing up playing with some of you guys. Part of me wishes I could have experienced it with you this year and played basketball this year. But I know that if I had been on the team and if I had played, that none of this could have happened. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I am so proud of you guys. You guys will go down as the best team in Meadowbrook history. I love you guys. So proud of you. But alright, let's get into the show. A little bit of NBA news. Kyrie Irving is set to miss three to six weeks after undergoing surgery on his left knee to remove tension wire. Now this can be a big problem for the Celtics because right now they're second in the Eastern Conference. And this is the same knee problem that Kyrie had a few years ago in the NBA Finals against the Warriors. Remember when LeBron basically had to do it by himself? He had no Kevin Love throughout the whole playoffs, and Kyrie went down in Game 1 or 2, I believe. This is the same knee problem. Obviously, he's going to be back relatively soon, three weeks, so it's about playoff time. So that's, that's great. But when he comes back, if he continues to have issues, that could be a problem. Like right now, this season, I think could be their best shot to dethrone LeBron and the Cavs in the East. Because the Cavs are more vulnerable now than they've ever been. LeBron's free, ag- free agency is looming. Uh, there's injuries to the role players right now. Ty Liu is gone, etc., etc. If Kyrie still has problems when he comes back, I'd seriously consider shutting him down. Like shutting him down for the entire playoffs and just retool for next year. Because Kyrie will be fully healthy. Gordon Hayward's going to be back. That's a forgotten element. And Jason Tatum's going to have a full year of experience under his belt. If LeBron leaves for LA next year, the Celtics will dominate the East for the next eight to 10 years. So next year could potentially be their beginning of dominance in the East. And actually, if LeBron stays in Cleveland, that's a better opportunity to to dethrone him because you're getting all that back. So actually, this year may not be the best opportunity next year would be the best opportunity. So I would I would seriously consider shutting down Kyrie if he still has issues when he comes back. I would I would definitely consider it. They'd be way more well equipped to to dethrone the Cavs just because they're going to get Hayward back. That is the one forgotten element and he is the one guy that could potentially help out on LeBron in an Eastern Conference Finals series. So if Kyrie has any kind of issues, once he returns, shut him down, tank the playoffs, and just retool for next season. It's not a bad thing if you don't win this year, because next year is an even better opportunity. And then as I mentioned earlier, the Cavs assistant coach Ty Lu is away from the team right now due to health reasons, back problems, headaches, loss of sleep. By the way, did you just notice what I did there? Cavs assistant coach. Get it? Because LeBron is the head coach of the Cavs. Uh, But anyways, he's going to be back before the playoffs and that's either way. I don't really think that affects the Cavs too much because like I said, LeBron is the coach of that team and Tyree Lou is the assistant coach. (laughs) Uh, But. Moving on to the Warriors, uh, I have a theory on the Warriors' injury situation. Because isn't it, isn't it like a big coincidence that, you know, Steph goes down with injuries, then shortly after, Clay goes down with an injured thumb, then KD has some rib issues, and now Draymond's gone? No, I'm not doubting that they're actually injured or that they actually have any, like, legitimate injuries. But I smell rest in the air. I think they could all come back a lot sooner than their timetables are set for. I think they're just resting up for the playoffs, because they're not really concerned about that number one seed. I believe they're a game, game and a half back from the Rockets. They're not concerned about that. They're not concerned about that at all. I think that's. Just, I think this is just a rest situation for the Warriors, because the the regular season does not matter to them. They they don't care. And I think the the Rockets are a legitimate team, but I don't see the Rockets beating Golden State four times in seven games. I just don't. Harden's great. Harden is the unquestioned MVP this year. Might as well just hand him the trophy now. He is the most valuable player in the league this year. He should have been it last year and probably the year before. Harden's great. And Chris Paul's leadership has like really helped out and really helped the Rockets get to the next level. And they've gotten great contributions from Clint Capella and Eric Gordon and some of those guys. but they're going up against one of the best scorers in NBA history and a top two or three player in the world currently in Kevin Durant. The best shooter in NBA history in Steph Curry, who is also another top two or three player in the league and in the world. And a top five shooter all time in Clyde Thompson. Also one of the best defensive players in the league in Draymond Green. I don't see any team beating that combination of players. I I just don't. I don't see it happening four times in seven games. You might be able to to get one or two, but I do not see you forcing seven, and I don't see you winning four. Moving on, this Kawhi Leonard situation... It's really confusing to me, and I don't really know what to make of it at all. I, I feel like Kawhi Leonard wants out, but I'm not really sure. That's the feeling I'm getting from it. Right now, the Spurs are sixth in the West, and they could easily fall out of the playoffs before the season ends, because just it is so tight from like five through ten. It is so tight. Now what I would do after this season is trade Kawhi from the Spurs. I would trade Kawhi or at least look into it because his free agency is coming up after next season. You might as well get something for him because right now it seems like he wants out. So I would trade him and you know what? I would give the Cavaliers a call. Give them a call on draft day for that Brooklyn pick because right now the cat the Cavs can't trade that pick until draft day. So give them a call on draft day and maybe inquire about a potential swap for uh, with that Brooklyn pick. Swap Kawhi for that Brooklyn pick and whatever else you want to throw in there. I don't I don't know what you got to do to make the salaries match up. And this does a couple things for the Cavs and also something pretty good for the Spurs, too. It's a heck of a backup plan if LeBron decides to leave. Because if he leaves, you have a, a young star coming in right away. Or what this could do for the Cavs is it could entice LeBron to stay if you can bring in another star. Kawhi Leonard could make LeBron stay. And then for the Spurs, they're getting rid of what I th- what I think is a cancer in the locker room. That's what I'm reading for the si- from the situation, is that he's being a cancer. You're getting rid of that. And if that pick turns out to be like a top five pick, top three, maybe even number one, crazy. we've seen crazier things happen. Imagine DeAndre Ayton with Greg Popovich as his head coach. That would keep them relevant, and they'd have a star for the next 10 to 15 years. That's their next Tim Duncan. But with better range, better ball handling, probably better length, he looks, he's like a more athletic and better shooting Tim Duncan. It's a plus for both sides. I would really seriously consider that if I'm the Spurs and the Cavs. You have a chance to get Kawhi Leonard. That's a heck of a backup plan for LeBron, and it also might make LeBron stay. I would definitely consider it. And then speaking of DeAndre Ayton, him and Trey Young have declared for the NBA draft. Now, DeAndre Ayton, 7-1, Tremendous length, like like I said, can shoot from three, take people off the dribble, face up, post up, shoot pull-up jumpers, plays great defense. I think he's like a top three pick for sure. I would take him number one. I would take him number one. I I see him going in the one to three range. And just imagine if Greg Popovich inherited that. Gosh. Now, Trey Young, though, on the other hand, I don't think he's ready. He's way too inconsistent. Like, 2018 has not been kind to Trey Young. He fits the NBA style. His style of play is perfect for the NBA. The way he shoots, he can pass, he can take people off the dribble. He, I, I see similarities with Stephen Curry. But Steph Curry's way more consistent. He was way more consistent in college. I think he's definitely a lottery pick, but not the number 1 pick like I thought he was he was months ago. I was I was really on the Trey Young train when he was going on that unbelievable run early in the season. I was really on that bandwagon. But he just tanked from like the end of December on. His lows far outweigh his highs. I think he would definitely benefit for, from staying another year at Oklahoma. But he's coming out. So I see him going in the 7-10 range. I think that's a pretty solid, solid range. Like I said, lottery pick. But he's not number one like I thought he would be. I like... Deandre Ayton at one, maybe Luca Don, Don Doncic from overseas, but Trey Young, I, yeah, I think seven to ten, six to ten is a pretty good range. Now let's segue over to the NFL. Now we've had several moves happen in, in free agency lately, and some of which. I think could have a significant impact on the NFL draft. Some of them. Not all of these ones I'm going to say I think will have an impact. Some of them won't. But some of these I think could have a great impact. Terrell Pryor is signing with the New York York Jets. Now, this doesn't really affect the draft at all because... Because the, the Jets are at number three, they're going to they they're gonna take a quarterback. So this adds a pretty solid weapon for the quarterback they're going to draft at number three. The Eagles signed veteran receiver Mike Wallace like the Eagles need anything else. Uh, it's another weapon for Wentz. They've got Aguilar, they've got Alshon Jeffrey, now they've got Mike Wallace, Zach Ertz. And I think, I think Mike Wallace is actually an upgrade from Torrey Smith. I think that's a, that's a solid upgrade from Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith's a little faster, but I like Mike Wallace as a whole better. And the Eagles keep getting better and better. They're really separating themselves from the Giants, Cowboys, and Redskins in the NFC East. Now we're getting into the moves that I think could impact the draft. This is where we get into that. Brock Osweiler signed a one-year deal with the Miami Dolphins. Now, Osweiler's garbage. I think every single person on the planet can agree on that. And as of now, he would back up Ryan Tannehill, who I I actually think is pretty solid, even though he's injury-prone. I think he's really solid. Reports are saying the Dolphins have interest in Baker Mayfield. So I don't know if this Osweiler signing is going to impact that. I don't, it shouldn't, but you never know. I really like Tannehill. I don't think the Dolphins should go quarterback at 11. I think they are. Yeah, they, they shouldn't go quarterback at 11. I really like Ryan Tannehill. He's injury prone, but he's, he's really solid though. And the Cleveland Browns signed a young corner, EJ Gaines, 26 years old. Now this I think could have a huge impact on how the top five top ten picks play out. Cause originally I thought the Browns would go defensive back at four with with either Denzel Ward or Minka Fitzpatrick, because that's one of their needs. But now that they have Demarius Randall and EJ Gaines, I think they might go away from defensive back at four, which could allow a team like the Broncos, the Colts, the Bucks. Allows teams like that to get involved on Denzel Ward or Minka. That sign that signing has me thinking a lot differently now than defensive back. It potentially I don't know if Saquon will fall to four, but if he falls to four, that that could be the way they go. The Cowboys finally made a big splash in free agency. They signed Alan Hearns, receiver from the Jacksonville Jaguars, to a two-year deal. And this gives Dak a legitimate number two option at receiver. He can play off of Dez in the slot and on the opposite side of Dez. And no, this is not a Dez replacement before you go asking that. This is not a Dez replacement. This is to provide Dak with more weapons because we know we know Dez is a pretty good weapon. He's been down lately, but I would still rather him over a lot of guys in the league. And now this makes Terrence Williams... Or possibly Cole Beasley trade bait, and I would rather trade Terrence Williams if I'm the Cowboys because Cole Beasley is an excellent slot receiver. You line up Hearns and Dez on the outsides, and now you have now you have Beasley in the slot. That's pretty good. Jason Witten at tight end is a good security blanket. You got Zeke. You have a the best offensive line in football, when healthy, a solid young quarterback in Dak, that's, that's a really good offense. And they also signed Deontay Thompson from the Buffalo Bills. He was a 500-yard receiver last year. He's a speedy slot guy. So I think this could definitely change the Cowboys' plans at pick number 19. i, I they may pass on a receiver in the first round now that they have Hearns and Deontay Thompson. Cause originally I thought they would take a guy like Calvin Ridley or Cortland Sutton. Now, if they, let's say they do take a receiver at 19, let's say they take Calvin Ridley at 19. That is your eventual Des replacement. It wouldn't be right away. They'd keep Des for a year, but I think after that, that season, Calvin Ridley would be your replacement for Des Bryant. They'd get him off the books, free up a ton of money. If they draft a receiver first round, that will be the end of Des Bryant in Dallas in the eventual future. But I don't think they're going to go receiver first round now. I think they will wait until like the second or third round, possibly even later, because the draft is loaded with, with receivers. From first to like sixth round, there's some really good receivers that you can pick from. But either way, the Cowboys look a lot better offensively now. And they're going to have something to say about that NFC East crown. And by the way, they just signed an offensive tackle too. They signed Cameron Fleming from the Patriots, who was pretty solid. So... That that gives them the ability to move Lyle Collins from right tackle to left guard where he was when he was a rookie. So you have Lyle Collins at left guard. That's an improvement over Jonathan Cooper who they let go. Cameron Fleming is a heck of an improvement over Chaz Green or Byron Bell. That offensive line is going to be a lot better now, assuming all everyone's healthy. And no matter who they draft, they're going to have something to say about that NFC East Crown. They're going to be competing with the Eagles. Right now, I think the Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC East. And they're going to be competing. They're going to go toe-to-toe with the Eagles for that number one spot in the NFC East. And staying in the NFC East, Jason Pierre-Paul was traded by the New York Giants to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a third-round pick and some cap space. Now, I think this is a clear rebuilding effort by the Giants by trading, arguably, their best defensive player. This this move will have the biggest impact on the draft. And that leads me to my NFL Mock Draft 4.0. But instead of doing the top 10 picks this time, I'm going to do the entire first round, so buckle up, everyone. Number one, the Browns take Sam Darnold. They have Tyrod Taylor, but it appears they still want a quarterback. They're not going to take Saquon at number one, I don't think, because they have Hyde. I, I just don't think they're going to take Saquon at one. So they're going to take Sam Darnold, who is probably the best quarterback in the draft. His pro day, well, he was excellent at his pro day. He looked great throwing the ball. Then it started raining, and he looked even better in the rain. So uh, he was great. And he's probably their best quarter, the, the, the draft's best quarterback. Now, number two, this is where a big trade is going to happen, I think. This move by the Giants is huge because, like I said, it's a rebuilding effort. And what I think they're going to do is a lot of people think they're going to take Bradley Chubb to replace Jason Pierre-Paul. I don't think so. That's an option, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think trading back gives you a lot more value than what Bradley Chubb gives you. A package of picks is way more valuable than one player in Bradley Chubb. If it's a rebuilding effort, you're going to want as many picks as possible. And by trading back with a team that needs a quarterback, like the Arizona Cardinals at number two, that's perfect. So number two, the Arizona Cardinals take Josh Rosen at quarterback. I know they signed Sam Bradford to a one-year $20 million, but he's not long-term, obviously, with the one year in his contract. So it, they're going to take Josh Rosen, quarterback of the future. He'll probably sit behind Bradford for a year. And there's the Cardinals' next quarterback. Number three, the Jets who were going to take Rosen in my last mock draft, they're going to have to take Josh Allen now that Rosen's off the board. Allen will likely sit behind Bridgewater or McCown for a year. He's got Terrell Pryor at receiver, Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse. Safarian Jenkins is gone, but they may draft a tight end later in the draft. Jets get Josh Allen. And then number four. Number four, I don't think the Browns are going defensive back here. They're going to get their home run hitter, Saquon Barkley. At first, I would have thought this was crazy that Saquon Barkley was going to fall to four. And I, I said it was so strategically important that you take Saquon at one, so that way you have your choice at the field at four at quarterback. You have your choice at any quarterback. But now, the teams have traded into the top four. You have to take your quarterback. You don't have to take your quarterback first, but it would be best to take the quarterback you want at number one. And then Saquon's going to be there for you at four. You have Carlos Hyde, but you get a potential superstar in Saquon Barkley. Superstar talent. He's fast. He's big. He's strong. He can block. He can catch. He can return kicks. He is a home run hitter for the Browns. And Saquon, Sam Darnold, Jarvis Landry, Corey Coleman, Josh Gordon, David Njoku, that offense is legit. Now, like I said, that pick is going to affect the rest of the top 10 because I know there's several teams in the top 10 that would like Denzel Ward or Minka Fitzpatrick. So here we go. Number five, the Broncos are going to take Denzel Ward. They just traded away Aqib Tlaib a few weeks ago. They're going to want to get younger at that position. So take Denzel Ward. Best corner in the draft. best Best cover corner. Number six, the Colts. They need protection for Andrew Luck. It is imperative that they get protection for him. He has been so injury-ridden over the past few years. He has been the most sacked quarterback in the league in recent years. So you got to get Quentin Nelson, offensive guard. He is the best interior offensive lineman in the draft. you got to get protection for him and protect him. Number seven, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their pass rush is atrocious. One of the worst in the league. And as a result, their secondary isn't very good. But how do you make a secondary better? You get a pass rush. Bradley Chubb, NC State. This is a perfect pick for them because it makes their secondary a whole lot better if you can get a pass rush. Number eight, Originally, I was thinking defensive back for the, for the Bears, but they have addressed their corner situation. Now linebacker is their only need on defense, Roquan Smith out of Georgia. He is a stud. He, he can run sideline to sideline. He's a hard hitter. He's so fast. I think he is the best linebacker in this draft class. He is incredible. And notice how this is going to shake up some of these other teams here in the top 10. Number 9, I still have the the 49ers taking Derwin James. They need a safety. They got Richard Sherman. They could use another corner on the other side. They could take Minka and slide him to corner, even though I'm not sure if he's, he's a corner or not. He's more of a safety type. So I would rather take the pure safety and get Derwin James. And then number 10... My mock drafts previously had them taken Roquan Smith, but now that he's off the board, now that everything's changed, they're going to get the second-best linebacker in the draft, Tremaine Edmonds. And again, he is a monster. He has superstar talent. And linebacker is their biggest need. The Oakland Raiders' biggest need on defense. They've got Cleo Mack, but they need someone else on that other side. The Dolphins at 11... I don't think they're taking a quarterback. I think Ryan Tannehill is very serviceable, more than serviceable. He's solid. And so I think you take a player at a position that you're losing. You're losing Ndamukong Su. Why not get Vita Vea, defensive lineman out of Washington? Perfect fit. Perfect fit, you're losing Ndamukong Sue and you're replacing him with someone that's a lot younger and a lot cheaper. Because Ndamukong Sue is commanding a lot on the open market. So, get younger, significantly cheaper. Vita Veya is extremely talented too. And then number 12, the next quarterback goes off the board. The Bills take Baker Mayfield out of Oklahoma. I really like Baker Mayfield. I wasn't too high on him at, high on him at first. Then I got on a high, then I then I got I was high on Josh Allen, Sam Darnold. I I, I kinda fluctuate with quarterbacks, but I do like Baker Mayfield in this situation. He's mobile. He's kind of he's kind of like Tyrod Taylor, but nowhere near as fast. He's got a tremendous arm, very smart. He's a cocky confident and his moxie is, is I, I think is gonna help him in the NFL. Number 13, the Redskins, they need some defensive back help. Josh Jackson out of Iowa fits the bill. Number 14, notice this. Look look at this. Number 14, Minka Fitzpatrick fell all the way to 14 in this mock draft to the Green Bay Packers. They are in need of defensive back safety help. because they got rid of Demarius Randall, who was kind of that corner safety kind of look. So you need to take a guy who has all the talent in the world in Minka Fitzpatrick. I'm not sure if he'll fall this far on draft day, but this is how it worked out for me. Now, number 15, this is no longer the Cardinals. This is the Giants trading back, getting a package of picks from the Arizona Cardinals. Number 15, I think the Giants go quarterback here, and they get a potential replacement for Eli Manning because Eli Manning is just, he's not good. He's never been a great quarterback, was carried by his defenses to two Super Bowls. I think the the Giants are taking Lamar Jackson here. He is a much different style of player than Eli Manning. He can run. He's like a running back. He's like, he's like a wide receiver with the ball, but can also throw it, too. He's a very unique player, and I think he can definitely change the culture of the New York Giants and make them a lot more flashy and a lot more relevant. Number 16, the Ravens are in dire need of weapons for Joe Flacco. They got Michael Crabtree. Why not take Calvin Ridley, too, and give him another outside weapon? The Ravens were horrible on offense last year, and getting Crabtree and Calvin Ridley—that's that's pretty solid right there. Number seventeen, the Chargers—they need offensive line help for Phillip Rivers. Connor Williams, offensive tackle, I think is a very solid pick here. Number eighteen, the Seattle Seahawks—I can see them going in a million different directions here. They've gotten rid—they've gotten rid of a bunch of key pieces on defense. They could draft a receiver like Cortland Sutton. Their offensive line is absolutely atrocious. Russell Wilson is running for his life 90% of the time he's on the field. I think they got to go offensive line here. They got to protect Russell Wilson. He is really the only legible thing they have left. Isaiah Wynn, offensive guard, I think he is the second best interior offensive lineman in this draft you got to protect Russell Wilson. He is the foundation of your team. You don't have Richard Sherman anymore. You may not have Earl Thomas anymore. We have yet to see what's going to happen with that. So you got to protect Russell Wilson. He is your cornerstone. Number 19 now. This is the Dallas Cowboys. Now that they have Hearns and Deontay Thompson, I don't think they're going to draft receiver in this in this first round. I think they'll wait a few rounds to take a receiver. The Cowboys do need defensive line help, and I think they're going to get it with Daron Payne out of Alabama. Their secondary is young. Is, it's up and coming, too. They're, they're actually pretty good for how young they are. And something that's going to really help them out is having a big anchor up front in Daron Payne. You have Tyron Crawford and... DeMarcus Lawrence on the outside, and plus they have Taco Charlton. We'll see how Taco Charlton fits in there too. He can be on the edge instead of Tyrone Crawford. You have Daron Payne and David Irving in the middle. That's a pretty solid front four. Pretty solid. I could also see the Cowboys going linebacker here, but really the best two linebackers are gone with with uh, Edmonds and, and Roquan Smith. So I don't think they're going to take. And they could go with Sean Evans out of Alabama, linebacker, but I think defensive line is their next biggest need besides receiver, which, is, which they've already addressed. So, Dayron Payne out of Alabama. The Lions at 20, they are in need of a running game. They have not had a running game in I don't know how long. I can't even remember the last good running back they had. They need Darius Geis out of LSU. He's literally like 85% of what Saquon Barkley is. Saquon Barkley is just a home run hitter. Darius Geis has got a little more power to him. They are in a dire need of a running game. And Darius Geis is is perfect to get that running game started. Number twenty one. The Bengals had one of the worst offensive lines last year, so I think they're going to go Mike McGlinchey, offensive tackle, Notre Dame. Andy Dalton was horribly protected last year. Got to get him protected, get him a solid offensive tackle. The Bills at 22 need an offensive lineman to protect their new quarterback, Baker Mayfield. So they're going to go Billy Price, offensive guard, Ohio State. The Rams at 23... They need some linebacker help. They got rid of Alec Ogletree and sent him away. They got rid of a couple other guys. Rashawn Evans out of Alabama, I think, is perfect for them. Their defense is already good, but getting Rashawn Evans, that fills a hole, and it makes them a ton better, and and it's a lot more inexpensive. 24, the Panthers. Receiver is not a strong suit for them. They got rid of Calvin Benjamin. I can't even name anyone else on that offense at receiver. So go Cortland Sutton at SMU. He is a big, tall, strong receiver. And he's actually really fast for his size, too. They need a, a big target for Cam Newton. And Cortland Sutton is the man for him. The Titans at 25, they need a pass rush. Their edge rushing, their edge rushers are terrible. And as a result, their secondary is very poor as well. They got Malcolm Butler, so that helps out a lot. They need a pass rush. Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State, I think, is perfect for their system on defense. Anytime you have a good pass rush, that significantly helps out your secondary. Number 26, the Falcons. They have. They don't have a very good defensive line. Don Terry Poe is gone. They lost a few others. Taven Bryan out of Florida, I think, is a solid, solid pickup and really good this late in the draft. That's good value this late in the first round. Because I could honestly see him going up in the upper 20s, maybe in the late teens. So that's solid for them, and that's a significant improvement. The Saints at 27, they need a tight end. Their defense is solid. They have solid pieces on offense. Kobe Fleener is not the answer at tight end for Drew Brees. The best tight end in the draft, in my opinion, is Mike Gasecki out of Penn State. Go get him. Another big target for Drew Brees to go along with Michael Thomas. Willie Snead, if they keep him. Brandon Coleman. They got Kamara and Mark Ingram. That's, that's looking good for them. That's looking really good. Number 28, the Steelers. They could go quarterback here. The only... The only quarterback that's worth taking in the first round now is Mason Rudolph out of Oklahoma State. I do not see that happening. I just don't think he is the answer there. Because they still have Josh Dobbs, and we haven't yet to see anything from him. So I I don't think they're going to take quarterback here. They do need an interior linebacker, though. Leighton Vander Esch out of Boise State I think is solid here for them. They've already got some really good linebackers, but... They could get even better with Leighton Vander The Jags at 29, no more quarterbacks on the board except Mason Rudolph. They're not going to take a quarterback. They've signed Blake Bortles to a three-year deal, so I just don't think they're going to go quarterback here. I've heard reports about Lamar Jackson falling to them. I I don't know if I see that happening. Blake Bortles took you to the AFC Championship and was this close to having you in the Super Bowl, this close to beating Tom Brady. It was just bad play calling by the offensive coordinator and the head coach that led to a loss. Too conservative. So I think they just need another offensive lineman that can just really open up holes for Leonard Fournette and protect Blake Bortles really well and give him time to hit his receivers. So Orlando Brown... Offensive tackle from Oklahoma is really good value for this late in the first round because he's another guy that could be taken higher in this round. Number 30, the Vikings, they need a corner help. They need some corner help really bad. Terrence Newman is getting up there in age. He's 39 years old. Still very good for his age at 39, but he's going to hit the open market or could even retire. So Mike Hughes, I think, is solid for them at number 30. Gives them a solid corner. Number 31, the Patriots also need a corner because they lost Malcolm Butler. So I see them going Isaiah Oliver. And then number 32, they're the Eagles again. Their defense is really good. Offense is really good. But they could use another linebacker. I see them going Malik Malik Jefferson out of Texas. And that would make their linebacking core very solid and their defense probably even better than before. All right, that rounds out my mock draft 4.0 the entire first round. I told you guys to buckle up. That was a lot. But now we're moving on to March Madness. 550 out of the 17,304,320 brackets predicted the final four of Loyola, Chicago, Michigan, Villanova, and Kansas. That is crazy that that few amount of people got that. I don't know how anyone picked that. Wizardry is all that is. But Loyola Chicago this year's Cinderella is in the final four. They beat Nevada in a a thriller. And they beat Kansas State pretty comfortably. And their story and Sister Jean's story is, is incredible. I I just, I can't believe it. They're, they're, it's, it's an incredible story. I want to play a video, video for you guys. Nick Wright from First Things First on FS1. Him on Loyola Chicago's story. I love that Loyola
0: Chicago, from the first weekend to now being a day away, a game away from getting to the third weekend, because maybe it'll let people know about their story. Like, everyone knows about Sister Jean. What I don't know if people know is Loyola Chicago won a national championship on a buzzer beater in 1963, but the bigger story with that was they were the first team ever to start, first major team with success, to start four black players. Back in the early 60s, there was a gentleman's agreement. You're only going to start two black players, and you're only allowed to have three black players on the court if you're trailing and you got to come back. Loyola Chicago's coach decided, I want to win. He recruited four black starters. They started in the entire run of that tournament. In fact, in the Sweet 16, the year they won it, they played Mississippi State, Mississippi's governor at the time, prohibited the team from going to play. They had to sneak that team out of the state to go play Loyola Chicago. So while the story of Sister Jean is great, the story that Loyola Chicago is going for its second national championship in school history, we all know the road story texas west kentucky Mm -hmm. that was 1966 with five black starters if you talk to the players on that team that is not possible with the 1963 loyal chicago team and so I'm, i'm glad maybe more people are learning that
1: story now so that is just a tremendous story that's incredible and i did not know that until i watched that video Loyola-Chicago, that's an incredible story. Uh, but Kansas State also beat Kentucky, but then they, also, they eventually lost to Loyola-Chicago. Florida State beat Gonzaga. Like Two of my Final Four teams got picked the same day I picked them in last week's show. So it's Loyola-Chicago, Michigan, Kansas, and Villanova in the Final Four. I'm not predicting any more of these games. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. I'm going to root hard for Loyola Chicago, though. That is a tremendous story. But I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. I'm not giving you guys any predictions because I don't want to be disappointed in my predictions. So, uh, Once again, shout out to the Meadowbrook basketball team on their incredible run. I love you guys. Follow me on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes, SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, guys. Hopefully I can get back onto a normal schedule. We'll see you next week. It's WFS.